Welcome to Orioles on the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And in our first show of the new year, we are going to kick off 2024 with an early look at what the minor league rosters could look like in the Orioles farm system. Bob has released his annual projections for the minor leagues. We're going to dive into those tonight, talk a little bit about the big name players you could see at each level, at least starting the year and how good those teams could be overall. And Bob, you can give our listeners a little bit of background before we really start to dive into this. You project out not the whole roster, but enough for our our readers to get a starting nine, five-man rotation, plus a little bit of the bullpen, and give us a watchability rating. Yeah, I don't know when I decided to do this, when we used to be with Baltimore Sports and Life like two or three years ago, but Wish I had sooner because it was a really, really fun exercise. And now it's something I, I really look forward to in the off season. It's like right around the new year. And it's just a great way to get excited for the upcoming season. Like we wouldn't anyways, but uh, we're like six weeks away from spring training or so, which is crazy to think about. Uh, and it's 2024, which is the year the Orioles win the World Series, as we all know. So glad it's finally here. And yeah, I just go. I, first, I start with the Major League predicted roster my own predictions and then i'm like you know as of today we still have ryan o'hearn we still have jorge mateo ramon arias austin hayes all these guys so that kind of dictates what i did with triple a and then so on and so forth just look at last year's how everyone ended and and just historically what the orioles have tended to do over the past few years and, and yeah it's fun and it's an episode i look forward to so excited for tonight We'll dive right in at the top of the Orioles farm system with AAA Norfolk. The Tides coming off the AAA championship in 2023 look like they could start the year with a roster that is every bit as talented as the one that they ended last season with. That's because Bob has projected as their second opening day second baseman, Jackson Holiday. He's not the only big name prospect there, as Connor Norby is expected to return to Norfolk as part of a lineup that also includes Kobe Mayo, Kyle Stowers, Joey Ortiz, and Hudson Haskin, among others. Then we also have in the pitching staff, Chase McDermott, Cade Povitz, and Justin Arm Brewster. Maybe the most talented top three you're going to find in any rotation in the Orioles minor leagues. And then a deep bullpen as well with guys like Nick Vespi and Wanderson and Charles, Shane Fontana, Greg Cullen, and David Banuelos on the bench. And one other note here, Billy Cook projected as the opening day left fielder after a big breakout in 2023. Nick, I'll start with you here. The Tides were really good last year, historically great season uh, in their franchise's history. What do you think about this 2024 squad as it's projected now? I mean, I think if we just look at this roster as is, uh, hopefully Jackson Holiday, Kobe Mayo, and uh, all these guys aren't on the Joey Ortiz, aren't on this roster. But I do agree if you look at the major league roster as it is constructed now, unless there are some moving parts, I think it's going to be hard for some of these guys to crack that roster. But if this is the opening day roster, I, once again, it's more, how many is that? One, two, three, four top 100 prospects, uh, five, depending on the outlet you look at. Um, I mean, that's just that's just what this organization is going to do now. Uh, as these guys continue to climb up to the top, and it's good. I mean, it's it's depth, and it's really quality depth, too. This roster as a whole, like, yeah, there are the top prospects, like Holiday and Mayo here listed, Norby, Ortiz, also top 100 prospects, but just quality depth in guys like Kyle Stowers and uh, Taryn Vavra. Um, 
even Maverick Hanley, if you're looking at and David Benuelos, I was looking in, into him a little bit after the Orioles just signed him. Really good defensive catcher as well. So good depth. And like you said, the pitching staff, it's we can talk more about the pitching staff in detail in a little bit, but just on the surface level, uh, this is a very, very big year uh, for this group. It could really change uh, some things in this organization if things break the right way for some of these guys. Yeah, definitely. And I would put money that at least one of Holiday Mayo or Ortiz make the team, the major league team out of spring training. Uh, I do have Kerstad and Kowser on the majors to start as things stand right now, but like we said, with Mateo, Arias, and Austin Hayes, makes it a little bit tougher for some of these guys. But, you know, I think between the trades, if it's trading from the prospect depth for a starting pitcher or maybe and or trading a guy like Mountcastle, Hayes, Arias, some veterans, whatever reason, over the next six weeks to eight weeks. Yeah, I think this could be a little bit different when we get closer to opening day. I would love to see all of Holiday Mayo and Ortiz make the opening day roster. It just depends how much they want to stack the deck for that 2024 AL Rookie of the Year bonus draft pick potential. Um, we'll talk about that more later. But, yeah, it's it's a really fun team. Um, obviously, there'll probably be some more minor league free agent signings to fill up the, the depth there because you don't know when you're going to need to pull from it and put people back. So, you know, we'll get the what Curtis Terry's of the world, I'm sure, uh, eventually. Pitching staff, yeah, that bullpen, I feel like, is just filled with guys that could come up and help in a in a big way. Keegan Gillis, um, Brian Baker still has an option. Hopefully he's starting in AAA. Nick Vespi again, one year with options. The starting pitching, even guys like Bronovich, Stallings, and Zimmerman, they're at least going to give you someone – that Bronovich, especially, you know, he's a guy that could have been taken in the in the Rule Five draft or protected by the Orioles, but he wasn't. He's still here, which is great. He can either be a rotation option or a bullpen option. Uh, yeah, I think it's just going to be a team like you turn them on, turn on minor league baseball, MILB TV. Which team am I going to go to? For me personally, it's AAA is always my first option, just because they have the best video quality the best angles the best graphics so that's where i start and go from there and i think norfolk's going to be a, a great option all year round focusing specifically on jackson holiday for a minute and bob you've touched on the orioles still have a lot of infielders uh projected for their major league roster right now aside from that though is there anything else that you think would keep holiday from opening the year in the major leagues so in other words even if Mateo and or Urias are traded between now and opening day. Is there something else that could keep Holiday uh, off the major league squad? Yeah, I think his defense. Um, not that I don't think he is isn't a good fielder or can't be a great shortstop long term. But right now, I think we've talked about it a little bit in the past where his bat has just forced him up so quickly that I don't think his glove has necessarily gotten the chance to develop at the same pace and the speed of the game. Just those little things that you have to learn from playing the position at the upper levels as the game speeds up. Hasn't really caught up. So I think he could play second base probably at the majors right now, but, and I'm sure he's working on it in the off season big time and will in spring training as well. But if they want someone that can fill in at shortstop in a pinch and they don't want Ortiz, Gunner, and Holiday all on the 
same team for whatever reason at the same time, then yeah, I could see maybe give Ortiz a chance to start and then Holiday can work his way up as he catches up defensively. I, I just think that how this organization has treated other prospects at this level and like any notion that like a prospect has to have so many at bats or so many innings in the minors before they reach the major leagues. I just think it's all kind of irrelevant with holiday at this point. Like if he shows up in spring training and he hits the ball well, as well as he did in the minors last year, and he shows off the elite swing decisions and we see more power, he was noticeably bigger from the year he was drafted. When he came into last season, he was noticeably bigger. I mean, he's what, still just turned 20 so he's getting he's going to be bigger this offseason i love the videos i was just watching one i think his dad just posted on instagram right before we hopped on he's taking some swings in the cages i think he's looking bigger again this year so as long as the offense is there for him in spring training i think he's there i think the bat is just too good to keep him down this isn't a jemai jones 2.0 incident like this bat is truly truly elite um i can't i saw an article and i saved it to read later i haven't read it yet i don't remember where it was i don't know if you guys saw it but it was basically just how jackson holiday has like the perfect swing um and it's just goading over this kid's swing that's why i just think as long as he shows out in spring training we know this game isn't too much for him it's not gonna be too big for him as long as the results are there I, I've got it penciled in the opening day roster to start this year. And it's going to be, I can see why they hold him back. We can maybe dive into that more when we talk about the rookie of the year stuff. But yeah. Before we move on from Norfolk, I um, just want to circle back to you, Nick, about the pitching staff. Mm-hmm. It, it, what jumps out, obviously, is the top two in McDermott and Povich. Those are probably the two top pitching prospects in the system right now by consensus. But Overall, would you agree that this seems like a really just a really deep starting pitching staff? Yeah, that's kind of my first thought. Like, there's a ton of upside here. Povich, obviously, I think has the highest ceiling arm is the highest ceiling arm among this group. If he takes a big steep, big leap forward, leap step steep, whatever I was going for there, uh, like he could be pushing for major league innings at some point this year. But I'm fine if if he just ends up spending all year in AAA as long as he's progressing. I think there's really no rush need to rush him. Same with McDermott, although I do think McDermott could be a quality option, maybe down the stretch in the bullpen. Brnovich, I mean, he's 26 now, uh, so he is getting older, but he is another year removed from Tommy John surgery, a full offseason to ramp up and prepare. If he's healthy and he's the Kyle Brnovich we saw when he was going from Bowie to AAA two years ago now, you add a whole nother layer of depth to this organization Stallings, I thought, pitched very well last year. He's in this projector rotation as well. Half with Bowie, half with Norfolk. I wouldn't be surprised if he saw some major league innings this year. Like, even if it's just a couple innings out of the bullpen, um, the Orioles have definitely rolled out like worse options in those scenarios over the last couple of years. I think Stallings could be that guy. Uh, same thing as Ryan Watson. I view both those guys as kind of Swiss Army knife type pitchers for this organization. They can be one inning guys, they can give you some length. Hopefully Ryan Watson rebounds a little bit. And with the bullpen, like Bob mentioned, you've got Vespi and Baker that have options. So you can bring them up and down. They've got major league experience. Perfectly fine with having both of them. And you've got the upside here with Keegan Gillies. Uh, Juanis and Charles is back on another minor league deal. Tyler Birch, Dolan Hoffman even. Yeah, this pitching staff, you add a couple um, you know, veterans. You add one or two veteran arms, like the Spencer Watkins type 
starters on this rotation is just in case guys this is a really really deep and really solid uh rotation and like i said it's i do get nervous though because this is a major year for povich if he doesn't take a step forward where are we at with him you know mcdermott if if his uh control command regress uh this year like where are we at with him uh you know just i didn't i mean mentioned justin arbor so i don't know if we've even said his name yet can he fill some sort of role in the big leagues this year like a lot of questions with these guys a lot of ceiling but yeah solid solid depth options the orioles got we know they're going to rely on these guys throughout the year yeah i i agree there's a lot of pressure on guys like Stallings, Bruce Zimmerman. Is he going to survive this offseason? Kyle Bronovich, even some guys at Double A like Brandon Young, Zach Peake coming back from injury. Like it's going to need to be go time a little bit here as the guys come up behind them, sandwiching them with the guys that are already at the major leagues. Um, so we'll see what happens there. I did want to echo Nick's point about Jackson Holiday and just if he's ready, he's ready. I think they're going to play him. And I feel the same way about Kobe Mayo, to be honest with you. You've seen a lot of really good articles this week about Kobe Mayo, especially with the uh, Masson's Rockabaco, just talking about how he's been working out a lot in right for right field, outfield in this offseason. And to me, that says, hey, the bat might be ready. So we got to find a way to potentially have you ready, if not opening day, major leagues sometime shortly thereafter and i think similar thing with him if he comes out in spring training and just looks like he's taking another step or leap forward from where he was already at the end of last last year now um i think he could be that big right-handed bat that a lot of orioles fans say that the uh the orioles need to go out and acquire well kobe mayo is right here so let's not trade him <laughs> this offseason and let's uh let's get him on that roster as soon as possible there's one more hit or two uh, that I, I think is probably, honestly, like we know Kobe Mayo is. He had the big breakout. We know what type of player he is. We know Kyle Stowers is fantastic depth piece, I think. Taron Vavra, if Taron Vavra can stay healthy, I don't need Taron Vavra back in the major leagues, like right now, um, or even at all this season. Uh, I But I need him healthy. I would like him healthy uh, as a high-quality break glass in case of emergency type option when, when you need somebody to step up. but. Honestly, the most intriguing player on this entire projected roster for me is Billy Cook. Um, just because, like, who is Billy Cook? Uh, like, tremendous year in Bowie last year. He cut the strikeout rate uh, significantly. It was like 32% in the lower levels, uh, down to 25%. I got pop-ups again coming up. Um in double A last year, the walk rate went up. The home runs went way up. I know he played at Bowie, but still, like I, the walk rate and strikeout rates were awesome. The average doing you know, base percentage, those all jumped after kind of being down in Aberdeen, which you know we see that with a lot, a lot of amazing quotes from guys like Buck Britton uh, throughout the last season you know, on Cook. I, I was surprised he didn't get the call to Triple A to end last year, but they did send him to the Arizona Fall League for more work and. I think that was maybe just to challenge him and say, hey, you need to work on A, B, and C, go to Arizona, and like, who cares what the numbers are? Work on those things because you're going to be in Norfolk's lineup and you just might get the call next year if there's an injury or something happens. Like The guy hit 15 home runs with Aberdeen, 24 last year. He's also stolen 55 bases over the last two years. He plays first base, second base, all three outfield spots. He does it all. 
Um, and he's doing it very well last year at the double-A level. The only red flag I have is I'm still scarred by Zach Watson. Not saying that they're the same type player at all, but just this Zach Watson really broke out in Bowie and then stayed in Bowie another year and then stayed in Bowie another year and then got cut. Um, maybe a Savannah banana now. Uh, so Billy Cook, like, I don't know. He's the most intriguing man for me on this entire roster. It's a good point because, look, we've talked about these stud prospects coming up and soon we're going to have cemented spots in lineup and in the field. You need a guy that can bounce around and play 18 positions. There's not even that many positions, um, you know, like Billy cook. And I think like him and Hudson Haskin next year in triple a going to be fighting out for that uh, next Ryan McKenna award or, you know, what have you, <laughs> the biggest bench option in triple a him and, and maybe even Kyle Stowers too. So that should be fun to watch, but yeah, I love it. We'll jump down to double A, and this is also a talented group with a lot of players coming back from the end of last season. Uh, in particular, you look in the outfield, Doug Fabian once again expected patrol center field with the Bay Sox, while Dylan Beavers is in right field. The big name, though, catcher Samuel Basayo, after a good week at Bowie to end the 2023 season, is projected to open the 2024 campaign there. Those guys highlight what is a pretty deep lineup. And then you move over to the pitching staff. And while this doesn't have the big names that Norfolk staff has necessarily, it does have a tremendous amount of upside headlined by Seth Johnson, who would be at the top of the rotation, followed by last year's breakout or one of the biggest breakouts last year on the pitching side, Alex Pham, to go along as a group that includes Trey Mago, Trace Bright, Kyle Verbitsky, and Brandon Young. And in fact, I'm noticing that this pitching staff is so deep on the starting side that Gene Pinto got bumped to the bullpen uh, in Bob's projection, where he'd be joined by the likes of Zach Peak, Yaki Rivera, who had an excellent 2023, Dylan Hyde, Carlos Tavera, Ryan Long, Peter Van Loon, and Jensen Elliott. That is a pretty good bullpen. But top to bottom, good pitching staff, solid lineup with some guys, some really high ceilings. But I want to start with Basayo. Basayo now consensus top 100 prospect in all of baseball, depending on what list you look at, he's probably ranked second or third in the Orioles farm system right now. That said, he is still really young, playing a challenging position developmentally as a catcher. I'll start with Bob here. What are realistic expectations for Basayo heading into 2024? I don't know if there's such a thing. Um, <laughs> I think, all right. The most trying to keep level-headed, cool. I think he spends three, four months in Bowie, and then the last month or two to two and a half months in AAA Norfolk. I honestly think it's realistic to think that he could get some major league time in September um, when rosters expand. But, you know, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. I think he's obviously super young, a super demanding defensive position at catcher but he also plays first base dh could probably even play right field in a pinch with his athleticism and his arm but i think he's special i think the bat is absurd and most guys get better in the off season and then the season long grind is like a a battle of attrition this is a kid who just got better and better every single week every single month every single day out there on the field i, I just think I, I, it's hard for me to keep uh, realistic expectations for this kid. And he won't turn, 
make sure my math right. He won't turn 20 years old until the end of the year. Like he's going to be a young 19 year old child in double A. That's what we're talking about. Gene Pinto, but 21 being like, this guy's really young for double A. Let's give him another year in Bowie to see what he can do. And Basayo is going to be 19 years old. And Basayo went to Aberdeen and only needed 27 games before they promoted him. And in those 27 games, the guy had a 195 WRC plus as an 18 year old catcher in an atmosphere that we sit here for the last four years we've done this podcast or whatever and said, look at all these Kobe Mayo's numbers. Look at Connor Norby's numbers. Look at Colton Cowser's numbers. Look at Heston Kerstad's numbers. Look at all these top guys that have come through the system. Look at how bad they've been for two months, three months in Aberdeen. Uh, stick with them. It's going to be okay. They'll get to Bowie. They're going to break out, which they all did. Um, Basayo never had a slump. The guy walked more, almost walked more than he struck out. 195 WRC plus is just an ungodly number for a catcher. Again, it's, I think I've said this before. Hold. Yeah. Like it's, it's so mind blowing just because like, it, it's really hard to put what he did into perspective because of the age and position and level he was at. And, you know, it's to go from, I don't see any need to rush. We said last year, maybe he gets the call up to Aberdeen at the end of the year. Uh, and they blew through that. Like you've got James McCann as the backup right now. And I think he's been a great fit for this organization. Um, who, what's he got one more year left with this organization? Basayo is logically the next guy. It's perfect timing. Basayo ends the year in AAA, And then he goes into the off season saying, you're going to, it's you and Adley next year. Um, now, if they do trade him, I, wouldn't blame the Orioles if they if that was a package that they finally crack on and they're able to land a super mega deal for Sammy Basayo. Fine, I, I'm I'm down. But if not, and you can go Adley and Basayo as a one-two combination, playing first base as well. Basayo plays a decent first base, and the catching. Literally, I know people ask all the time, like how good of a catcher is he? He's going to move off the position, right? Like, I don't think so. I think it, his catching is perfectly fine to catch one or two times a week as you know, Adley's number two and keep him at first base DH for the rest of the week. Um, he steals strikes. He's really good at gunning down runners uh, at second base. Like he kind of does it all behind the plate as well. It's an underrated part of his game. That I don't think it's the attention, but when this guy's taking 95 mile hour fastballs up at his chin and saying the 450 feet in the right field, it's hard to focus on his defense, but yeah, it's special talent. And I don't know if he's going to be the number one overall prospect in baseball at any point this year, because of the position, but he's going to be very darn close uh, in the near future. Probably once these lists start rolling out their top 100 in the next what two, three weeks. I don't know if I can get on board uh, trading Samuel Basayo, no matter what. I just, unless it's like, I, I could see it being justifiable if it's for like Yuri Perez from the Marlins, but I just feel like you're trading an international superstar. So please don't, Orioles. Yeah, Basayo. The defense to me looked better than I was expecting last season because we had not really had a chance to see that part of his game in person. I remember going back to 2021, his numbers, um, his caught stealing percentage that year, as I recall, was pretty low down in the Dominican Summer League. So, you know, I think that that may have crept into some expectations for him of, oh, here's this big guy who probably is going to outgrow the position because most guys that size do who can't throw out base runners. Well, now we're a few years removed from that. And 
he's throwing out base runners right and left. The arm back there is for real. The only concern that I think I really have about him being able to stay behind the position long-term is just general wear and tear on the body. Um, He does need to get better defensively, but I don't think that there's any specific area of his game that I look at and say, well, that's not a big league catcher. That can't be a big league catcher. It's all there. It just needs time to develop. And it's perfect when you have Adley Rutschman as the starting catcher, and he's only going to need to play, what, 40, 50 games behind the plate at the major leagues whenever he gets there, whether it is at the end of 24 or 25 or 26, whatever it is. I mean, he's not going to need to play there much, and his bat will certainly play enough to uh, do a first base DH as well. So, Now that we've focused on Basayo, what jumps out to you about this group overall? And, Bob, I'll turn this back over to you because the Bay Sox have the highest watchability rating. You gave them a 9 out of 10. Why was that? The pitching staff is absurd. Um, <laughs> I have the starters listed as Seth Johnson, Alex Pham, Trey McGow, Trace Bright, Calverbitsky, and Brandon Young, I believe. And really, it's it's tandems. You can say Gene Pinto, Carlos Tavera, Peter Van Loon, Ryan Long. These guys are probably going to pitch at least three or four innings at a time as well. And even the strict relievers like Dylan Hyde and Yaki Rivera, these guys are serious like prospects as relievers. And I just think no matter who's on the mound, it's someone I want to watch. And really, Samuel Basayo has a big reason for why uh, that watchability rating was so high, because that is the guy I want to see every single at bat if, if possible. But yeah, it's the pitching staff for me. And I also think I'm really interested, and this was the one guy who I wasn't sure if he would start at double A or back at high A, Frederick Ben Cosme. But I feel like get him into this better hitting environment and just another year older. He's still only 21, I believe. So I'm really counting on Ben Cosme bouncing back in uh, in 24. But yeah, that pitching staff is is something to watch. Yeah, I think. Overall, looking at this Billy roster, I mean, kind of similar construction as we saw last year where there's like some elite talents at the top of the lineup. And then it's just like if you're at the ballpark, you've got some time to go like hit the bathroom, grab a beer uh, before you see some guys. But the pitching staff is definitely going to carry this thing. As far as the hitters go, though, like, like we know what Fabian needs to do. He needs to cut down on the swing and miss. If he can, we know he hits big home runs. He plays elite defense in center field. Dylan Beavers, like the Orioles put a lot of work into that bet last year and it paid off phenomenal numbers when he got to Bowie. He's not really blocked, I don't think, in AAA. So if we're going off these rosters, and so I think if he does start in AA, then he probably won't be there long as long as he picks up from where he left off. That's another big, exciting bet. Um, I, I like the Ben Cosme too. He did just turn 21 on Christmas Day, so like a week ago. Um, you know, we didn't see him take that big step forward last year in Aberdeen, but he also like continued to not strike out a lot and walked a lot. And I just, my thought was, I like putting him up there in Bowie. Like you said, that good hitting environment, but also I don't think minor league coaching assignments have been released yet, but I'm just going to assume that Sherman Johnson is back as the hitting coach in Bowie. He was last year was his first year, like as that was his first pro coaching job. And he's the Orioles double A hitting coach. And we've heard some great things about him and the work he was doing assuming 
he's back. You put Ben Cosme with Johnson there and Tim Dijon there, who assuming he's there to work on the defense. I'm excited to give Ben Cosme uh, another shot. Honestly, he's, he's got the frame to add the power and still be this super athletic, versatile player, flash a good defense at multiple positions. And he's got youth on his side. So I'm definitely not giving up on Ben Cosme. The pitching staff, yeah, this is this is it. Seth Johnson, a potential top 100 prospect, if he bounces back in a big way. Um, and it's good to have this depth, though, because I think Seth Johnson, you're going to limit his innings this year. Trey Mago coming back from Tommy John, you're going to limit his innings this year. Brandon Young, I'm assuming that was shoulder. I don't think we ever got confirmation there, but I'm assuming he's not going to be a, a five, six inning every five, six day starter down there. So it's, this sets up really nicely to have Pinto Peak, Ryan Long, Peter Van Loon, and Carlos Severa piggyback in all these guys. You can extend Johnson and Mago and Young all year. You can also allow guys like Peak to work his way back. You can figure out, is Carlos Tavares still a starter in this organization? Do, does he need to be bumped down as like a one inning reliever? Let these guys kind of figure this out there. And like I mentioned, Trace Bright and Kyle Verbitsky, though, are and Alex Pham, to an extent, are your workhorses. I mentioned last week, I think Trace Bright could potentially be minor league pitcher of the year. And Verbitsky is a guy we don't really talk about. But honestly, last year, like I know it was really bad when the season started. And we we're like, this guy should be in double-A already. Uh, he's probably going to get cut. Remember, uh, he was the second piece of the, the Cole Irving trade. Um, but for a stretch there, a long stretch there, I think he was statistically probably the best pitcher in the Orioles minor league farm system for a while. And when we were deciding our end-of-year awards, it was like McDermott, Fam, and then a big tear break before anybody else. But honestly, I thought long and hard about Kyle Verbitsky. Like <laughs> he was at the top of that next year. He was that good last year. And so, yeah, if you you want to watch good pitching, um, you know, I heard the Orioles don't have much. But I look at this Bowie roster and uh, these innings. It's going to be tough to get all these guys the innings that they they need this year. I think. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Zach. I was just going to throw in one more thing there. I uh, can't believe I forgot Zach Peak when I was listing all those pitchers. That just shows to show the glutton of uh, of good good arms they have there. And I didn't mention Dylan Beavers, Judd Fabian. Those guys, obviously, a ton of fun to watch. And I do think Ben Cosme's defense, while his performance at the plate was a little disappointing last year, like you said, the walks and strikeouts were still good. And I, I felt like he did make some serious uh, improvements on the, on the defense. Yeah, Fam is one of those guys that I think would be projected AAA if the Orioles didn't have as much depth as they have in the minor leagues because he pitched well enough last year to earn that bump up, and he got better in a lot of ways, primarily in his with his command after being promoted from Aberdeen, and then to build off a of Nick's point about Verbitsky, the these are his OPS uh, splits by month. In the month of April, hitters hit 302 with an 891 OPS against him. 831 OPS in May, and then after that, the number just drops significantly. 315 in June, 690 in July, 580 in August, 535 in September. And along the way, if you look at the pitching metrics, they all got better over the course of the season. So Rabitsky started out really rough after coming over into a new organization uh, pitching at Aberdeen, the first two months weren't pretty, but for the last few months of the season, I think he was at least Aberdeen's most consistent starter. And I think, as Nick said, one of the better ones in the organization. 315 Cold. OPS against in a month? Wow. Yeah. 
uh, Cole Irvin was a throw-in in that deal. That was the Kyle Verbisky trade. That's that's how that will be referenced from now on. Just FYI. I'm going to jump down to Aberdeen now. And if you want to follow the 2023 draft class, you're going to want to tune into Ironbird games most nights because Enrique Bradfield Jr. will be sitting atop their lineup playing center field, according to Bob's projections, with Mac Horvath, Matthew Etzel, Jake Etzel, Tavian Josenberger, and Jalen Vasquez all coming in behind him. Then you round that out with a group that we saw a lot of last year in Creed Willems, Isaac DeLeon and Carter Young in the lineup. And then on the pitching staff side, some guys that don't have a lot of experience or have no professional experience, but yet still comprises a pretty high upside group at Jackson Ballmeister is at the top of Aberdeen's rotation, followed by Luis De Leon, Carter Baumler, Juan Nunez, Daniel Lloyd, and Edgar Portes. This also has a chance to be a really, really strong bullpen headlined by Teddy Sharkey at the back end to go with guys who are coming off a solid 2023 campaigns, such as Cameron Weston, Daniel Fetterman, and Cooper Chandler. Let's start, though, by focusing on the 2023 draftees, in particular on the offensive side of things, because we had a chance to see Bradfield, Horvath, Etzel, Josenberger, uh, Vasquez, and then to a lesser extent, Cunningham over the course of last summer. And Nick, I'll start with you here. Out of that group, who stands out to you as a possible breakout for 2023? So I did some math with the first three guys. Uh, Enrique Bradfield, Matt Corvath, Matthew Etzel. Uh, I honestly, I, I think it's Etzel to answer that question. And I pulled some quotes too about Etzel here. Uh, of course, Matt Corvath is like, at least among like our circle here, like the Patreon chat, and I think us included, Matt Corvath is the sexy pick among this group as the big breakout. But uh, I've got some quotes about Edsel, um, just him flying under the radar. But just looking at those top three guys, like because Jake Cunningham only had a couple of games last year. He had an injury when he was in college. So I think that kind of delayed his intro to pro ball a little bit. Tavian Josenberger didn't have the, the greatest start last year. Uh, and then Jalen Vasquez, he hit the ball well, and he walked at an enormous clip as well. So I don't mean to leave him out of this, but... Enrique Radfield Jr., Matt Corvath, Matthew Etzel, they, these guys combined for 66 walks and 60 stolen bases in 77 total games played after they were drafted last year. That didn't even include Enrique Bradfield, the box that he caused, because I swear, following like the FCL box scores, it was like Enrique Bradfield Jr. walks, balk, he's at second base, Enrique Bradfield Jr. steals third, Enrique Bradfield Jr. scores on Matt Corvath single. Like It was just, I don't know how many boxes this guy created. Um absurd on the base paths so but etzel like this guy kind of went overlooked i think and some of the quotes that i went back and found on him this from d1baseball.com ahead of his final season at southern miss it said uh innate bat to ball skills superior strike zone awareness plus speed give him top of the lineup upside currently it's hit over power profile but it's safe to project double digit home runs as he matures given his barrel awareness Defensively, above-average arm strength with carry and accuracy, strong instincts, closing speed to reach batted balls that usually fall in for base hits. Uh, ironically enough, or funny enough, uh, talk of the next re-trimble at Southern Miss, <laughs> albeit in a larger, stronger frame. Hopefully it is a sturdier frame uh, as well there. Uh, but this was someone who didn't hit for much power in college, but as the draft approached, he made some adjustments, started showing in-game power last season, 
And he maintained these elite swing decisions. And he's got the big speed. He could stick up the middle defensively. I just think if Etzel is like not on your radar, he probably should be right now going into next season. Yeah, I could see him, and this is ridiculous, but like perfect scenario could be like a Nick Markakis type where he's just, you know, probably probably not as flashy of a of a, a prospect coming up, but just he he seems like he just really sees the ball really well. He's not a bopper. I think he'd probably max out at twenty home runs on the season. But hits the ball hard, hits it on a line. A lot of doubles I could see. Yeah, I like Etzel a lot. But obviously my guys, Jake Cunningham, I feel like if you have been paying attention to any of our Patreon top 50 updates, um, I'm high. I'm the high guy on him. And I will continue to be, I think, by midseason, I'm either going to feel really good or I'm going to drop him way down. We'll see how that goes. But uh, I, I'm going with Jake Cunningham as the, the big breakout guy. And I'm really interested to see what Tavian Josenberger can do. He didn't get off to a great start. I feel like a fresh start is really going to do him some good. And I, I'm curious to see how how he plays. And yeah, um, Horvath and Bradfield, they speak for themselves. The Those guys are going to race through this system, I feel like, and end the year in AAA. What jumps out at me about Etzel is that he's a left-handed bat who can probably play all three outfield spots. What I kind of hope for for him is that there's some that either he can get enough reps in center field while he's playing alongside Bradfield and Aberdeen, or that maybe Bradfield gets to buoy a little bit ahead of Etzel so that he can get that center field time. Because every report you read about Etzel suggests that he can play center field. As long as he's playing alongside Enrique Bradfield Jr., he's probably going to see more time in right field than anything, and he's very capable there. But I would love to see what he can do in center field. And I'm going to go to the pitching staff now. We're kind of in uncharted territory here a little bit with Jackson Ballmeister. A high selection by the Orioles in last year's draft. Did not pitch um, out, coming out of college at Florida State. So when he takes the mound for the first time in 2024 – it's going to be his official professional debut. We're expecting right now that's going to come at Aberdeen. But what are you, the two of you, and I'll start with Nick here. What are you going to look for in his development? I, I just want to see him pitch. I mean, I honestly, I haven't watched him pitch since this would have been, what, two years ago when JMU went down to Florida State to kick off their season. I remember watching him. I haven't really watched him pitch since, to be completely honest. So everything we've heard about him is great. John Mule came on this show, and he got the Samuel Basayo treatment. Uh, looking ahead to next year as a top-five prospect in the system. So, I mean, I'm just, I just want to see what this guy has, honestly. Um, I, I don't know. I like the aggressiveness of putting him in high A. I'll be curious to see if the Orioles go that route, though. But he comes from an ACC school he pitched very well when he was down there at Florida state didn't pitch last year, but you know, he was down there in Sarasota. So he's been working out with the organization. He's got this full off season. He's going to have spring camp. Now, as long as he's performing well and the Orioles like what they see, I don't disagree that he could be the opening day starter here for Aberdeen, which for a pitching prospect in the Orioles system is like uncharted territory, I think as well. Yeah. It's almost like, uh, for me, he's got like this first round vibe of a pitcher coming. It's like, wow, this look at this guy. He's coming in 
and he's the bell of the ball of pitcher. Wow, we took him this early. <laughs> what was he like a third round pick? So, um, yeah, I, I we know he's got the high velo, hoppy fastball. I want to see how he does. First of all, I don't think I've ever seen him pitch other than clips uh, from draft night, but I, I just want to see him pitch like Nick said. And I want to see what his off-speed stuff is like and and just how he sequences and, and what his mound presence is. There's so much for me that I'm interested in checking out. And, yeah, it'll be interesting. if uh, Between him and Teddy Sharkey, it's like those are the guys I want to watch. If they're on the mound, I want to watch them. And Luis De Leon – this could be pushing him a little bit fast too. They could be swap him out with a different pitcher from the Delmarva rotation that I had predicted out. But I feel like this is a guy with super helium for us. Um, and another guy who, if he does start in Aberdeen, that's it's pretty aggressive and it's exciting. I think he could be like DL Hall type of uh, development here. I mean, with hitters, though, we know the Orioles, despite maybe popular uh, opinion on how the Orioles treat prospects, they're not afraid to make these hitters uncomfortable by pushing them up to new levels. Pitching, we just don't know, I don't think, like how exactly they are attacking the pitchers. But, it, I mean, you, not to spoil it, but you do have three names on there in Delmarva, like Davy Cruz, Moises Chasse, and Juan De Los Santos, who it's like, get out of Delmarva already. If they're in Aberdeen, that does make a lot of sense. But at the same time, like if they're not ready or they're not good enough for Aberdeen, like you're going to put these guys up here. And it's a matter of innings too. Like where do you put these guys? Because you look at the rest of this rotation, like Luis De Leon, I like having him in Aberdeen. Carter Baumler, just freaking stay healthy, man. For the love of God, I will sacrifice something right now for you just stay healthy for a year. Not something living. I don't know if you can sacrifice something that's dead. You get the point. Like I, I want this man to stay healthy because he's flashed how good he is. Um, it's just been major injury after major injury after major injury. But then you've got Juan Nunez had a solid year. He was Delmarva's best pitcher, I think, other than Luis De Leon when he arrived. But the most consistent, we'll say, Edgar Portis silently had like one of the highest swinging strike rates in the lower levels, at least the minor league ball had was one of the biggest velo gainers in all of minor league baseball as well with the fastball. And you still got Daniel Lloyd here. And it's like, Daniel Lloyd should be in Bowie as well, but when's he going to pitch? It's just, this is, you're now starting to see this like ripple down effect of the biggest log jam. I think in this organization is just the pitching, to be honest. Yeah. I want to use that to transition to Delmarva now, because as Nick mentioned, there are, a lot of guys projected to repeat the level, especially on the pitching side with the likes of Moises, Chasse, Davy Cruz, Juan De Los Santos, Juan Rojas even got a little bit of time with Shorebirds last year. They would be joined in that starting rotation by Kiefer Lord and Levi Wells, who were drafted by the Orioles in 2023. Solid bullpen here when you look at the likes of Zach Fruit in the mix. And then the lineup. And this is where it gets really interesting because you have some very high upside guys coming up from the FCL and Braylon Tavera, Thomas Sosa, Leandro Arias, but then some guys that need to um, bounce back after struggling at Del Marva last year in Anderson De Los Santos and Steven Acevedo, and then even a guy who I think underwhelmed statistically in the FCL, Aaron Estrada, is also projected for this roster. But I want to start with the pitching staff because – if I had to take one pitcher out of the group of De Los Santos, Chasse, and Cruz, 
and put them in Aberdeen, I would probably pick Cruz. And the reason being that I think he has the highest ceiling in the group. He's another left-hander. And the biggest concern about his development that I have had over the last two years is his command. And he made pretty significant strides over the last three months or so of last season in that area. But to the point that you've both made, and Bob, I'll start with you here. There's going to be backfill with the pitching staffs on these rosters. Guys are going to get held back. Um, with that said, do you think that someone in that trio of De Los Santos, Chasse, and Cruz could crack Aberdeen if a spot does open up? I Yeah, I think it's Cruz. It's like you said, he did make – you saw that progression in his command as the season went on. He He improved it. The walks came down. He seemed to be performing better as the year went on until I feel like a lot of these guys hit a wall later in the season. But yeah, even I think actually Moises Chasse might have the biggest ceiling out of the three, but it's hard to say. These guys are all, you know, super high ceilings, but ways to go to to reach it. For me, ultimately what decided it for me for putting them back in Delmarva versus guys like Luis De Leon and Edgar Portis, it's just I feel like I don't know. It was just like this X factor of like, this guy's done something a little bit different. He didn't like Luis De Leon never really had that just kind of like Gene Pinto a few years ago, like just never really hit any kind of snags or development hurdles while they were at Del Marva. Edgar Portes did, but like Nick said, he made significant strides in his velocity and swinging strike percentage. So I feel like, you know, that is going for him. Whereas guys like, Chase Cruz and Daylor Santos, I still think, and Rojas to an extent coming back from injury. I just feel like they need to clear the hurdle of Delmarva and it may do it really quickly, especially if you go into minor league spring training and, and the Orioles coaching staff sees the improvements they've made over the off season. That could change a lot of things as well. But for me, at least for the beginning of the year, this is where I had to put them. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree among those. It's probably Davy Cruz just because the walks went down, the strikeouts went up. Chasse had a fantastic strikeout rate, but I think his walks also ballooned. So I could see them keeping him down. I don't know how old he is. I mean, Davy Cruz is still only 19 as well. All these guys, that's the other thing too. These these international kids, they're, they're still, we've been talking about them for two, three years, but they're also still like not even 21 years old. So like they've got time. Um on their side here just this pitching staff as a whole though with delmarva the hitters is a whole different story that i, I i'm excited about but the pitching it, it's exciting in a different way just because it's there are a lot of 2023 draft picks here that we didn't get to see last year zach fruit or we didn't get to see much of fruit cravey nestor herman and we've seen and heard some like really fun data points of them in college levi wells is a guy who like national outlets are writing hey, the Orioles could put him in the bullpen and just shoot him up the minor league system if they wanted to. Um, and again, that's non-Oriole sources like saying that. But then you've also got Kiefer Lord, who was like, I don't know, couldn't even throw it. I don't remember the exact his exact VLO numbers, but he couldn't. He was throwing it as hard as like a high school batting practice coach like in during COVID, so like four years ago. And now he's throwing like 99, almost touching 100, I think. He taught himself to, how to increase his VLO. Honestly, his ceiling could be, if you told me, I don't know, because I haven't dove into either of these guys extremely detailed yet, but if you told me that Kiefer Lloyd's ceiling was higher than Baumeister's, 
I'd be like, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd, I'd believe you. Um, I have some theories about like the different classes that the Orioles have of pitchers that they've drafted over the last couple of years under Elias. But I think this 2023 class is different in terms of like, you've got true pitching talents here. And a lot of these guys are going to start in Delmarva this year. They've got high ceilings, Kiefer Lord, for example, Levi Wells, even Michael Ferret, who was a 14th round pick out of the Juco ranks last year. Three pitches, not huge velo right now, but he's listed at 6'3", 190. So he's a tall, skinny kid with a lot of room to fill out, maybe add some more velo there and be a legitimate starting pitching prospect in this system. Like Delmarva, watching Delmarva games usually isn't sexy most nights, but this pitching staff is, it could be really, really fun some nights when you turn them on. And I think we're going to see like a, a different generation of, of Orioles pitchers start to come alive down there this year. Yeah, Kiefer Lord, other than just having an awesome name, is, man, it's tantalizing, the potential he has. If you just think about the strides he's already made on his own, and now he's getting with one of the best development systems in baseball, and that arm talent, I, I really think he's a guy that could explode up into a top 100 list uh, potentially in the next year or two. So, yeah, just love the potential of these guys. And if we want to talk about the the position players, I mean – my goodness, do I love that it's just all international talent. There's so many guys who we've only really been able to see Instagram highlights and box scores that we finally, this is like one of my favorite things on opening day is to turn on Delmarva and be like, finally get to watch these guys for like full games every day if I wanted to. But guys like Braylon Tavera, Leandro Arias, Thomas Sosa, uh, Anudis Mordan, he did get a little bit of time in Delmarva at the very end of last year and performed incredibly well, but Aaron Estrada, uh, Raylan Ramos, even uh, these guys should be up here. And the thing with these guys, like Anderson Daler Santos, I think he's going to just pull Daryl Hernandez and Creed slash Creed Williams and really explode in 2024, at, at least at Delmarva before he gets challenged again at Aberdeen as everybody does. But Steven Acevedo made these huge strides last year. Can he keep that going and earn his way to Aberdeen pretty quickly? Well, who out of these guys is going to be the next, I don't want to say Samuel Basayo because he's like next level, but the next guy that's like, man, could this guy be a top 100 prospect at some point soon? Uh, I think we'll get at least one or two of those. And uh, I'm excited to find out who it is. I have my suspicions, but it could be, could be any of them. Yeah. I like Norfolk, like we said, they're going to have numerous, potentially numerous top 100 prospects in that lineup. Bowie's pitching staff is must watch every single night. Aberdeen's going to have all the draft picks, the majority of the draft picks, at least all fun teams. And I'm probably in the minority here, but honestly, I am most excited at the beginning of the year for Delmarva games. Like that is going to be the team that I watch the most at the beginning of the year for the same reasons that Bob just mentioned. Like, because if you're looking at the stat lines for a lot of these guys at Delmarva, I think they're kind of similar to like looking at just box score scouting of the DSL and the FCL players. Like you miss out on critical information. The quality of play is not great most nights. Some of these games can be really tough to watch. And there are days where, yeah, that 0 for 4 with four strikeouts in the box score, that was real. He was bad. He was awful that night. It might be two hits all week for some of these kids. And it's like, no, you actually didn't miss anything by not watching them. Uh, they were horrible that week, but they turned things around. Like that's, it's a learning level at this point because with the elimination of short season ball the play at low a just hasn't caught up yet 
Um, and I'm still curious if organizations are still are still trying to figure out like how exactly do we navigate this this period of development here. But it for me personally, it's just it's a fun level because you watch these guys and you can see like, all right, who who has it and who doesn't. And I think you can pick these guys out pretty clearly now. Like Luis Gonzalez, semi highly touted, they'll say international outfield prospect looks way overmatched. And you're like, this guy doesn't have it. Nope. He's done. He got released at the end of the year. Rolfi Cruz was another good example. I think like baseball America was writing articles about him or he was getting blurbs and articles when he had that insane FCL run. The models loved him. He was putting up insane batted ball data like consistently. He was popping. What happened? He got promoted to Delmarva. You watch him, and it's like this guy. I don't think he has it. I don't think. I think he's peaked right there at Delmarva. But like Bob mentioned, Anderson De Los Santos. His you look at his numbers. You're like this kid doesn't have it. What's what's he still doing around? He's not going to do anything. If you watch Anderson De Los Santos, there he was different. Like that kid's like he needs some things to click. He's got a long way to go in his development, but there's real potential there. And that's what I love watching on a nightly basis with these guys. Like who's got it and who doesn't. So like, and this year, like it's not a team of like Rolfi Cruises and Angel Tadas anymore. It's Braylon Tavares. It's Leandro Arias. It's guys who've got millions of dollars in signing bonuses. Thomas Sosa, Aaron Estrada, you mentioned Raylan Ramos, maybe even Edwin Amparo. He got a big signing bonus from the Orioles. I know he kind of struggled last year, but maybe he's up at some point. And it's like, who makes that jump? Who's the big top prospect to make that jump this year? Um, one of them's going to, hopefully. And it's going to be fun to see who among that group steps out. That's why for me, like Delmarva, and we know what the, the period is with Delmarva. It's really fun. And these guys start to settle in. And like Anderson De Los Santos breaks out, Braylon Tavares hitting, Leandro Arias is hitting, Anudis Mordons pimping home runs all over the place. And then they start getting promoted to Aberdeen, and it's going to be bad for like two months until the draft picks come. But that first two months, that's my favorite level to watch, to be honest. I just could not agree more. Um, I feel yeah. like it's the best way. If you want to do what we do and just learn how to speak, Pick them out. Watch Delmarva. You literally are watching the development happen over the course of a season. It's so fun. Like even it could take multiple seasons. Like Steve Stephen Acevedo. There's a reason we've been not able to give up on him, despite have pretty bad numbers for a couple years in a row at Delmarva. It's just you look at him, you see it, you see the tools, you see the potential, and then he's you see it slowly start to click. Last year, Elio Prado was another guy for me. Where it's like every time I yeah. saw him, I was like, I can see it, I can see it, and then. He kind of started to break out a little bit last year. So, yeah, it's just a really fun level to watch, at least in my opinion. We'll go down now and wrap up the projected roster discussion with the FCL. And the caveat that comes in here is that we really have not seen these guys yet. And what we're relying on sometimes in part is just looking at the box score um, from the previous year. We've followed these teams all season, and I can tell you, from following Dominican Summer League last year, that a guy like Luis Guevara, who's projected to be the starting second baseman, you're probably going to want to keep your eye on him. Joshua Lorenzo is a guy who had a little bit of hype coming out of the international class. Last year, he performed pretty well in the DSL. He's projected to be their everyday third baseman. You have Yuber Ruiz in the outfield. That's another bat that I think you're going to want to watch, along with Ellis Cuevas projected as the D8. The big name, though, Position players and pitchers included 
is shortstop Luis Almeida, who was the prize acquisition of the Orioles' 2023 international signee class. There was some speculation that because Almeida was born in the United States and then moved to the Dominican Republic as a teenager, that maybe he would skip the Dominican Summer League last year and go directly to the FCL. That didn't happen, and he had an injury or a season that was cut short in part by injuries. But when healthy, there were some promising signs there with Almeida. So he's the name that stands out in this group. But, Nick, I'll start with you here. Aside from Almeida, any takeaways? Uh, I was trying to say how many games Luis Almeida even played last year. Like five, uh, six. Da, 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 da. Oh, he had 58 at-bats. That was more than I thought. He played 19 games? No way. Okay. Um, <laughs> it was still. And then, yeah. yeah, shut down. Yeah. 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 But it's, that's fine. Uh, still, regardless, he had a couple home runs there. That was kind of shocking that he went to the DSL. I almost wonder if they're like, look, he was still at 16. Maybe he was 17, but I think he was 16 when he started. I feel like maybe it's like, all right, we sent him down to the DSL. He was what, born and raised in what was it? New York. Um, you know, he's born and raised in the U.S. He played baseball, high school baseball in the U.S. He played travel ball in the U.S. He's done internationally as well. But, like, you send him down there to the DSL with those kids, maybe there's, like, a nice little moment there to, like, he can help these kids and help prepare them. Like, hey, this is what to expect, like, weather and everything. Like, we heard the Del Hernandez stories when he was in Delmarva and teaching those kids, you know, you, how to dress and, and everything like that. I, probably not. It's probably because he was 16 years old and needed the at-bats, but... Still, in my mind, that's where I was going with that. Um, he's definitely the focal point there. I haven't heard anything. Like, nothing's changed with him. Yeah, he had the injury, but its I don't think it's an injury that's going to, like, move into next season. The only thing I've heard is I, I think that he's getting bigger. He was adding some weight, so, like, that's that's good. Uh, Lorenzo is definitely the guy I'm watching closely just because he was 16 years old last year. He got one of the bigger signing bonuses in last year's class, hit, like, five home runs, I know DSL numbers, they are what they are, but he appeared to hold his own pretty well down there as a 16-year-old. And the pitching, can't we got to shout out Luis Vicioso, Jorge Mateo's little brother, DSL All-Star. Um, I don't think there's anything there, but uh, shout out to <laughs> uh, Luis at least. But on the pitching side, you know, the FCL, it's like, I don't really know any names that have come out of the FCL the last couple of years, right? Luis De Leon, obviously, but like, it's tough. I'd imagine it's pretty tough to watch these pitchers most nights. You look at the box scores, it's a lot of super high walk rates, a lot of ERAs in like the six, seven, eight range for much of the year. But the, Jesus Palacios was a DSL All Star last year. I know he repeated the level, but still just 18 years old. Insane walk to strikeout numbers. That's what you want to look for down there in the lower levels. Um, someone among this group, who's this year's Luis De Leon? Is it Palacios? Is it, you know, uh, Francisco Morale, Brian Batista, and he's a tall righty. I think they signed with like leftover funds in 2021. Um, a couple of interesting lefties, Andres Parra, Noel and Cuevas, guys that have stood out in the box scores. Who's going to pop? That's that's the thing this year with this pitching staff. But it's it's tough to find the guy for me on the pitching side of things, at least to be super pumped about going into the year. But they'll show up, I'm sure. Yeah, it's Palacios Morale, mm -hmm. I think, just based off numbers, but we don't, you know, it's going to be a whole Gene Pinto, Luis De Leon situation at some point. And, you know, like I said in my article, I gave it a seven out of 10, just because you can't watch these. 
You might think you can at times, but you can't. You just can't. And But for me, number one with the bullet, Joshua Lorenzo is the one that I'm watching out for because this kid, he's he was exciting just based off the reports we saw last January where it's like big right-handed power bat, and he lived up to that eventually. But he started off incredibly slow and just got better and better. And then in August, I mean, it was only – Let's see, 67 plate appearances, but he batted 345 with an OPS over 1,000, 9% walk rate, only struck out 16% of the time, had six extra base hits, including three of his home runs in those last three weeks. And I, I just feel like, is this a guy that could skip slash only play half a season in the FCL and get to Delmarva at some point? I mean, we saw, um, he was uh, Frederick Ben Cosme previously mentioned, he kind of did that. Two years ago, I feel like Angel Tejada obviously wasn't as exciting, but he was a guy that kind of did the same thing last year where he got up to Delmarva before the FCL season even started and spent most of the year there. Is there going to be a guy from the FCL that does that this year? If there is, I want to say it's going to be Lorenzo. So, or yeah, probably Lorenzo or a guy like Fernando Pregero who really made serious strides and is still probably way under the radar um, for Orioles fans, but Yerba Ruiz, who's it going to be? We'll find out eventually. I just like, it's just always exciting where like in two weeks, we're going to find out here's 30 more players. The Orioles just signed that any one of them could be a potential superstar in five to eight years from now for the Orioles. And then it's just, it's just fun to slowly follow these guys along as they move up the ladder and see, which guys stand out, which guys don't stand out, and then flash out of nowhere two years after they've been signed. And, yeah, I love what we do here. Well, and that does it for the projected roster discussion that we're going to have. Up next, we're going to talk about the American League Rookie of the Year race and how the Orioles could factor into that if they're going to push for their second straight Rookie of the Year. In the meantime, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, TikTok, X and more. And I should note that you can read the full projected rosters over at our Substack, Orioles on the Verds.substack.com. This article will remain free for everyone. We are going to roll out a paid option soon to anyone who wants all of our articles delivered directly to their inbox. And I should mention too that if you are a member of our Patreon community, you're already on the list to receive these emails. And in fact, you should have received Bob's article earlier this week when it was published that is available to all paid tiers or a Patreon community, whether it's at the three, five or $10 levels. You can also look forward to, to our top 50 prospects countdown, which is going to be starting next week. In the meantime, uh, this has been Orioles on the verge, part of the believe podcast network for Bob Phil and Nick Stevens. This is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to Orioles on the verge.